When it was first reinstated, I was honestly confused. I understood the premise of the tax, but the rules around the tax and how it was being implemented, what companies and transactions were affected, it was extremely difficult to follow. It felt like the IRS was essentially expecting there to be people that were still doing the job that did the job when it was originally in place from 1980 to 1996. Welcome to ChemLine, inside the chemical distribution industry. I'm your host, Eric Beyer. Each episode, we will take on topics that you need to know as they relate to the chemical distribution industry and how they could affect your business and even your everyday life. Chemicals play an important role in modern civilization. Tune in to dig into the hindrances and helpers ensuring chemicals are distributed safely and efficiently wherever they might be needed. Let's get to today's story. Welcome to ChemLine, inside the chemical distribution industry. I'm your host, Eric Beyer. I'd like to start today's episode by saying thank you to those who have tuned into our podcast so far. We've received incredible feedback on our first three episodes. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen yet, I encourage you to catch up on episodes one through three to learn about our ongoing efforts adapting to the worldwide cybersecurity risks facing the chemical industry. Today's topic is top of mind for all chemical distributors right now, and that is the Superfund tax. In 1980, Congress passed the Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act, also known as CERCLA, which established a program to protect public health and the environment by managing the cleanup of contaminated sites and responding to nationally significant environmental emergencies. Through CERCLA, Superfund was created to finance the cleanup of uncontrolled or abandoned waste sites, accidents, spills, or other emergency releases of pollutants into the environment. In the event parties responsible for the pollution cannot be located or identified, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency can draw on the Superfund Trust Fund to finance cleanup efforts. While this tax has been dormant for over 28 years, it was recently reinstated through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021. Here is tax attorney Douglas Charnas from McGlinchey Stafford with more. So let's get into the specifics of the Superfund tax. I think we're all pretty familiar with the background. In the 70s, there were some pretty egregious hazardous sites, Love Canal probably being one of the most famous. And Congress realized that there's not always going to be somebody around to clean that hazardous site up. So it enacted CERCLA, and then it had to come up with funds to support the hazardous Superfund trust fund. And it did that by imposing the Superfund tax. And that tax was in place through the end of 1995, and then it expired. And under the old Superfund tax, we had three taxes supporting that Superfund, the crude oil excise tax, the feedstock chemical excise tax, which is the tax on chemicals, the the 4661 tax, and then the tax on certain listed substances. And it's those last two that we're facing now. So, what we're facing is an almost 30-year-old tax being raised from the dead. We caught up with Lynn Musinski Keck, Principal and National Lead of Federal Tax Policy at Witham, and asked her about initial reactions and questions following the reinstatement of the tax. Well, I think that most people were caught off guard, right? Even though it had been there for a while, it wasn't part of a major bill, wasn't talked a lot about. 
And then all of a sudden, where I think even though there was a lot of publications about it from accounting firms and different providers, what I felt is that it really came up during networking or lot or uh, association events where somebody would start talking about it and then we'd start getting a ton of calls. And so I think one, what was surprising is that it was really back in existence and that it was a lot worse, right? That they doubled the tonnage fees, they lowered the chemical substance percentage component. And so it was far more broad than it was in the past. And then just how do we comply and how can we comply quickly? And unfortunately, because this tax has been out of this application for such a long period of time, not a lot of systems tracked like they used to track it, right? I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize is they don't track when they import a chemical substance directly. So a lot of it was changing the systems to even get to a reportable number. And the vastness from obviously the normal chemical manufacturers, distributors, importers, but pharmaceutical companies, manufacturers, I mean, it's it's really all over the board of who can be impacted by this tax that, like I said previously, wasn't on a lot of people's radar. NACD members were impacted immediately. In order to help out our members remain in compliance, NACD sprang into action and began hosting webinars and workshops, as well as open the line of communication with the IRS. It's been almost a year since the first tax went into effect and things are still unclear. The uncertainty has created major challenges and confusion for our sector. Here is NACD member Aislinn Chalecki, the Regulatory, Quality, and Logistics Manager at Chem Synergy, with more on the challenges she has faced while navigating this tax. When it was first reinstated, I was honestly confused. I understood the premise of the tax, but the rules around the tax and how it was being implemented, what companies and transactions were affected, it was extremely difficult to follow. It felt like the IRS was essentially expecting there to be people that were still doing the job that did the job when it was originally in place from 1980 to 1996. And there are still some people who are in the industry that were doing the job during that time, but there's a lot of us who have been in the industry for, you know, 15 years, but started well after that expired. I did know it was going to be a lot of manual work from how they released it. And it was difficult to make sure that you're properly tracking from the get-go the semi-monthly payments that have to be made and tracking those transactions to make sure that you're paying the proper amount for those semi-monthly payments. It's just so much manual work and we have made it as electronic as possible, but we're still constantly tracking our sales so that that way we can make sure that we're in compliance. Since its return, NACD has worked tirelessly to answer questions from members like Aislinn who are sincerely doing their best to comply. NACD Senior Manager of Regulatory Affairs, Annalisa Puzignero, has served as our lead for tracking down those answers. We asked Annalisa which questions she's seen the most. Here's what she had to say. The number one question we received from our members was whether there were chemical abstract service registry numbers, known as CAS numbers, assigned to the chemicals and substances subject to the Superfund tax. CAS numbers are a unique internationally accepted identifier that the chemical industry uses daily. 
There are various nomenclature terms and synonyms that are used to describe chemicals in the marketplace, which makes CAS numbers an integral part of daily business in the industry. But what adds another level of confusion to this is that the terms that the law uses to list chemicals and chemical substances that are subject to the tax can refer to a category of products instead of an individual product. For example, the law lists butanol as one of the chemical substances subject to the tax. But without a CAS number, it may be any or all of a number of products, including n-butanol, isobutanol, cyclobutanol, among others. Assigning these numbers would not only provide the industry with surety that they are paying taxes on the right products, but it would also give the same clarity to the service. Another one of the main questions we received were related to determining the rates for taxable substances. The rates for taxable chemicals are clear. Those are defined in the statute. But determining the rates for taxable substances is a more complicated process. A taxpayer can determine their own rate. In simple terms, you would determine what ratio of taxable chemicals, which have set rates, as I said before, that were used to create the taxable substance which would give you the tax rate for your taxable substances. If a taxpayer determines their own rate, they must properly substantiate their tax. Otherwise, the IRS can set its own rate or it can apply a 10% tax against the value of the product. Another option is for a taxpayer to use the prescribed rates that the service has issued for taxable substances. But the hangup here is if you rely on this method, The IRS has only issued rates for 121 of the 151 taxable substances. So what happens if you're importing a taxable substance that does not have a prescribed rate? Well, you would determine your own. But wait, there's something else. It is not uncommon for foreign manufacturers to withhold the ratio of taxable chemicals used to create the taxable substances. Those ratios are considered proprietary. So in this situation, taxpayers are left guessing and potentially looking at penalties for underpayment or a 10% tax on their product, which is a significantly higher option. Still confused? You aren't alone. NACD has made it a priority to demand clarity from the IRS for our members' sake. Here, Aislinn reflects on the resources NACD has provided. So the NACD has been really helpful with attempting to get the answers, even if they can't or the IRS won't disclose the information or they just say, we'll take it back and we'll think about it and then we'll let you know. The NACD has set up a task force, which I'm a part of. They've brought in lawyers to assist as it's essentially regulatory personnel dealing with tax law. They've lobbied. The NACD has petitioned to have guidance updated since it really doesn't make sense to have the guidance that they put into place for the initial installment of the regulation in 1980 because the chemical industry is not the same industry that it was at that time. And the additional issue that the NACD is trying to work on is that no two people, even from the IRS, will give you the same answers. And that's really difficult to then be able to give guidance to the industry. So they've done a spectacular job with with what they've been given. For well over a year, NACD has been seeking additional clarity for the implementation of the Superfund tax. This past March, the IRS issued proposed Superfund tax regulations. The proposed rule addresses many of the questions NACD has raised. Here's Annalisa with more on that. NACD has been very active with its engagement on the Superfund tax to spread awareness of the lack of available technical guidance and the need for expanded penalty relief. 
The association sent four letters to the IRS in 2022 and 2023 outlining the industry's concerns with tax implementation, and we also have had two meetings with the IRS Chief Counsel's Office. Additionally, NACD conducted extensive outreach to Capitol Hill. The Superfund was a main topic of conversation with congressional offices during NACD's 2022 annual Washington fly-in, and NACD has facilitated several congressional sign-on letters to IRS and Treasury. Those letters echoed the industry's concerns and also called for penalty relief. On March 27th, the IRS announced that it was extending its relief from semi-monthly deposit penalties through the end of 2023. This was welcome news because the original relief was set to expire on March 31st. Then a few days later, we were pleased to see that the IRS had issued proposed regulations for the tax as well. Many of the questions NACD raised with the IRS were addressed in the proposed regulations too. For instance, NACD requested the IRS issue and or expand definitions for terms such as importer, sale, and use, as well as provide examples. The NACD requested and the IRS provided clarification on the treatment of mixtures. And then most importantly, one of the top issues raised by the association, the lack of chemical abstract service registry numbers or harmonized tariff schedule codes was addressed. The IRS requested input on the best way to assign CAS numbers or HTS codes and which experts to consult. The proposed regulations will go far in providing chemical distributors, many of which are small family-owned businesses, the information they need to comply with the Superfund tax. While we still have a long way to go to address questions that remain unanswered, NECD welcomes both the proposed rule and the penalty relief. The association will continue to review the notice of proposed rulemaking carefully and plans to submit extensive comments. While penalty relief extension was most welcome and many of the questions NACD raised were answered in the proposed rule, there are still some discrepancies that Lynn believes could cause frustrations. One of those is the delineation between chemical mixtures versus chemical compounds. Here she is with more on that. One of the things that really surprised me had to do with their delineation between chemical mixture versus chemical compounds. What they said essentially is that for chemical mixtures, if you import a chemical mixture and it has a base percentage of chemicals, then we're going to require you to pay the Superfund excise tax on that chemicals within the mixture. So think of it this way. I technically have a chemical substance. It's not on the chemical substance list, right? Because we just talked about that. It's got to be on it or off it. There's no in between. And so I import a chemical substance. Normally, if I imported a chemical substance on the list, I'd have to pay tax on it. But now they said in the proposed regulations, well, if it's not on the chemical substance list and you still have chemicals within it, we're going to require you to pay the tax on the percentage of weight of chemicals in the chemical substance you imported, which to me is frustrating, right? Because you're saying, okay, well, I can't say it's a chemical substance when I export it because it's not on the list but you're dinging me on the way in. If I import something that's not a chemical substance on the list, I have to essentially pay the percentage of underlying chemicals in the tax upon import. That was kind of surprising. They also went on to say, and the reason they did this makes sense. They said, we don't want to give an advantage essentially to people who are importing that substance instead of making that chemical substance in the US, right? So they're saying essentially, if I was in the US and I was making that substance, I definitely would have been taxed on those chemicals to bring them in to make that chemical mixture. 
alternatively, if you bought the chemical mixture from the Ford and it's not on the chemical substance list, you're not getting hit with it. And they said that's an unfair bias trading, right? Supply chain discretion. So they're they're going to handle that by saying we're still going to assess you the tax on the chemicals. On the other side, which was interesting, and they talked about chemical compounds. And I can tell you, and all my clients will tell you, I clearly say I'm an accountant and not a chemical engineer. And the chemical engineers are usually quite nice to me and help me work through this. But they did say they can't do the same approach for a chemical compound. They said a chemical mixture, they, they still hold their chemical separateness, for lack of a better term, whereas when you have a chemical compound, it alters the compound there is going to be a potential discrepancy, right, from people making chemical compounds in the U.S. versus people importing chemical compounds. And they said, based on the way that the, the law was written, we can't do anything about it. Those are two things that I thought were interesting that were in the regs. We feel strongly that taxpayers should not be penalized when they have made a good faith effort to comply with a law that lacks clarity regarding how to meet the requirements. That is why NACD will continue to be a voice for our members. So, what can members do if they still have questions? If they still have questions, they should be reaching out to NACD to let them know what those outstanding questions are. We've compiled every single question that we have received from members so that we know what's going on. And if you have the question, I guarantee somebody else also has the question. So, don't feel stupid for asking or don't feel like, you're behind the eight ball because you still have questions about the tax. I think everyone is still trying to figure out what's going on. Sharing that information with NACD helps us then communicate with the IRS. So share your questions, share your story. If NACD doesn't know, we can't communicate effectively with lawmakers to let them know what you need. You can reach out to anybody on the policy team at NACD. Myself, Brian Callahan, and Jennifer Gibson are the point people on the Superfund tax at NACD. The three of us are the ones that are primarily focused on this issue, and we'll be able to help you find the answer that you're looking for, connect you with resources. But if we also can't find that information for you, we're going to find the expert that can help you. Where do we go from here? Well, new Superfund developments are sure to unfold in the coming months as we submit comments and pursue even more clarity from the IRS. As we continue navigating the Superfund taxes, NACD will be sure to keep you all in the loop. We hope you learned a lot in this episode on the Superfund tax. Check out our website for numerous resources if these issues pertain to you, and tune in next month as we take on a topic that has been on everyone's mind here lately, our railways. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for tuning in to Chemline. If you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on social media at, at the National Association of Chemical Distributors on LinkedIn and at NACD underscore RD on Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out to us with story ideas, questions, or concerns. We can be reached at communications at NACD.com. For now, we'll catch you on the next episode of Chemline. This edition of Chemline is sponsored by Situation Hub. When your situation becomes a crisis, Situation Hub is the only software in the world that can write a perfect news release in under three minutes. Situation Hub helps NACD members perfect their responsible distribution communications with the media, your employees, and your community. Protect your revenue, reputation, and brand with Situation Hub. Learn more 
and get special NACD pricing at situationhub.com.